Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And this morning, riding the sober train with us, I have a dear friend, Karina, a.k.a. Dottie Pot. Good morning, Karina. Good morning. Can you see this big, huge smile on my face? I'm so excited to be seeing you and talking <laughs> to you again. It's great. Boom. I know. It's been a long time. It has. Yeah, we did an initial interview a long time ago. Since then, there hasn't been a lot we've done together, has there? No, I think the last time we spoke on to do this for Sabertown was at the first year anniversary. So yeah. that would be two years in February, will it? Sort of that we since we spoke because Sabertown would be three years, will it? In February, I think. March. Yeah, March 2nd. I wanted to get with you and then go over your journey. When we first met on IAS, you were in a walker in a wheelchair part of the time, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yeah. And what I came to learn after getting sober and reading and researching was that I'd been drinking. I do have physical health conditions, but on top of that, I'd been drinking away my neural pathways. So my, my neural pathways weren't working together correctly. I had a lot of symptoms, pretty similar to multiple sclerosis, but there was no damage. Fortunately for me, I hadn't physically damaged my neural pathways it was more a messaging problem so they explained it more like the hardware was okay but the software wasn't the messages just weren't going through and I realized obviously with research when I was researching for my book and because when we get saved we find out so much more about about things and about alcohol that actually what I'd been doing was drinking my neural pathways away because alcohol damages our neurons and if our neurons can't message each other properly, then it stands to reason that we're not going to be able to walk properly or talk properly or eat properly. Um, had, every system of my body was affected. And since getting sober and using mindfulness and getting back with Andy, who was the love of my life, who believed in me and gave me confidence to go forwards, then today is a very, very different story. I'm riding around the country, hopefully Europe next year as well, on my three-wheeled Can-Am Riker, which is a 600cc motorbike, and and doing it alone since Andy's passing in April. So that's a great confidence booster, great physiotherapy. I do use my walker occasionally. I haven't been in a wheelchair for about two years now, uh, say for three years, and I do use a walking stick most of the time, but sometimes, you know, I'm pretty good and I don't even need that either, especially if I've got someone to, to hang on to, like my dear friend Paula, when we have our little trips around London together, which we'll probably be doing again on Tuesday, actually. That is so cool. And that's Holly A. So we met on IAS way back in the beginning. The first time I saw you, was that one of the very first Zooms, I think, that the Silver Squad 1 was putting out? And I think you had like a Santa hat on, didn't you? Yes, it would have been Christmas, wouldn't it? So August, September, October, November. So I'd have been about four months sober. So yeah, and I tried to join the Zoom the week before, but I'm not very good with technology and hadn't been able to get, get on. So I finally went on the Zoom. And I did do a few Zooms. And I probably need to get back to doing Zooms again now, to be fair. But my mind at that time, because of my my neural pathways, which I have to say, I really focused on and got so much better following Todd Crafter's podcast and write up about if it fires, if it wires together, it fires together. I always get that mixed up, wrong way around. But so, yeah, that really, really, really helped me. So I really recommend anyone listen to that. I mean, it's about habits and, and sobriety and alcohol and addiction. But for me, I was able to use it for my physical health as well as my addiction, which was amazing. Let's talk about that really quick. So our brains are like plastic. And then when we consume alcohol, it damages, like you said, those neurons. And a lot of damage happens between the prefrontal cortex. And that's where we get our critical thinking, our reasoning, our judgment. 
so you were having a lot of problems back there with your neural pathways in those first zooms is what you're saying yeah so i found it really hard like the overstimulation i find it very hard one of the reasons i needed my walker a lot was because i used to say to andy i feel like i want blinkers you know like the horse blinkers that you have because all that stimuli around me was too much for my brain to process and it would affect my balance i'd fall over a lot because there was too much stimuli all around me and it's the same with the zooms it's too many people i was okay in the breakout rooms and i'm okay on smaller breakout rooms with four people i can manage but it was just too much for me which is why i didn't really go to the zooms that much but i might be able to manage it a bit more now to be fair but I did do other stuff instead. I was podcasting for Sabertown. I was writing my book. I was giving support on IAS and other platforms and running the, some of the ladies' groups with Polly A as well. So I was kind of working my sobriety in that way and supporting in that way, I guess. The real key thing is that this is our own journey. Yes, we've all got a similar goal. We want to get sober, but it is our journey. It's nobody else's. And we can take help and support from other people, but we have to find our own way. And we have to find, you know, get a collection of tools in our toolbox because what may work for you may not work for me. And also what may work for me one day might not work for me another. So we have to have a a selection of, of tools and resources that we can use in order to keep ourselves on, on the right path. So I think what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way, as I always do, is if Zooms aren't for you, then fine. Don't feel pressured to go to Zooms to get your support. Find other ways to get your support, but keep connected. You have to keep connected, and and but connect in the way that's right for you. Don't put pressure or stress on yourself by going to something because you think you should. Do it. Find the connection that, that works for you. So I remember... The first time I interviewed you, you were really nervous. You made like six pages of notes, right? Remember that? Yeah, I do. And now I just talk for England, don't I? I know I just go ad hoc. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Thanks to Sabertown, really, you know, because you gave me the platform to do my podcasting. And I just like each time now, it just gets easier and easier to do. But, you know, I was thinking about my first interview with you, which people you will not be able to find because when my book came out I asked Drifter to take that down for a number of reasons really but I think the biggest reason is that although my life milestones and what's happened in my life hasn't changed with sobriety my story around those events has changed like big time so I was only, it would have been March that you interviewed me. So I was, what, six, seven months into my sobriety. And I still was holding on to all those things or working through the things that I felt had driven me to drink, which was to numb emotional pain, numb physical pain, but to fit in because of loneliness, not being wanted, being rejected, being hurt, being bullied, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And I'm still in very much the the blame stuff of like people shouldn't have treated me like this and it shouldn't have been like this. Now, you know, by the time I released my book, which was a year or so later, I was in a very different place. And even as I was writing my book, I had to keep going back and changing bits because it was changing. Your perception changes. Your story changes. Our memories are rubbish. Our memories make what we want to make of things. And we all have our own individual stories. And our memories will add stuff and take stuff away over time, even within our own stories. And what I learned was that everything that I felt had hurt me and upset me and blamed me, I learned that nobody else could make me feel that way. That was how I interpreted it. I worked a lot with acceptance. I worked a lot with areas of control that you can't control other people. Only I can drive my own bus. 
<laughs> you know, I can other people, and if people don't know what I talk about, I talk about the bus quite a lot. And it's a term, if we imagine a bus, of, you know, we're the driver and people get on our bus in life, which is people that we know, situations that we go through, thoughts, feelings, and that we're steering our bus. But a very long time ago, I realized that somebody else was driving my bus and not me. And so I tried to take back the, the steering wheel sort of hit and miss until I got sober and now I am and now I accept responsibility for the things I've done and the biggest thing for me is to acknowledge and realize that everybody has their hurt little person inside of them everyone has their hurt little child so all the people that I was blaming for doing all these things to me throughout my life actually had their own reasons and the way I chose to respond was the way I chose to respond, which can be hard to accept and understand when we're talking about three, four, five-year-olds, sort of 14-year-olds. I think the other thing for it is as well is for me to accept and acknowledge that if I hold on to the anger and the hurt and the angst, the only person it's affecting is me and that's going to stop me in my recovery. And it also means that some of the people that have done some quite horrible things to me in the past, if I'm still letting that stop me live my life, then they're winning. And I don't want them to have that control over me anymore because I don't have a right. But only I can give or take that control. Only I can accept it. So for me, my story around all the events of my life, feelings and my emotions around them really, really changed paramount since we first did that interview two and a half years ago so as you've gotten sober these neurons and synapses you've formed new connections and you're not a spectator watching somebody drive that bus anymore you're actually present and in the driver's seat now yeah definitely and with both my emotions and my spiritual health and my physical health because i know that if I don't sleep and if I get very stressed, my neurons will start misfiring again. So I'm responsible for that. So I have, I can hold onto the steering wheel of that to make sure I get rested, to make sure that I don't get stressed. Yeah, it's easier said than done sometimes, you know, but I do give myself a break. If I'm having a bad day, I'm just having a bad day and that's okay. And if I don't sleep, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Because the more we worry about those things, the more stress I put on myself. So if I can just let them go, accept it for what it is. I'm very good now at living in the now. Cart Tolly was brilliant for that, of the, the, the power of now. That really, really helped me. Meditation, which I'm not so great at at the moment, but and I probably need to do more of that. I think that's probably kind of a link with Andy now, I think about it now. I hadn't thought about it until this is why I love doing these things and talking and podcasting. I'm like, it's like being your own therapist. I always recommend everyone talk to their phone or talk to the air or talk to something or write it down. And because when Andy was in hospital in April and it was quite clear that, that he wasn't going to get out and that he was going to die, the thing that got me through was meditation. I was meditating, meditating all the time. And since he's passed, I haven't really done that much. And I think it's probably because there's a bit too much of a, a painful connection for me at the moment, although I know it would be a good thing to do. So it is something that, that I would do when I feel good and ready again. Well, let's talk about Andy a little bit, because as you're getting sober, he supported you through your sobriety and you ended up getting to where you could get on your Can-Am and you guys travel around the country supporting other sober individuals. I don't even know how many sober people you've met. Jeez. Yeah, about 20, I think. About 20, I think. As he's fighting leukemia, you're getting sober, and you guys were just there for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Andy came back into my life in 2020. It was quite an awful year, really. Because of my physical health, I was being medically retired from nursing. My husband felt that he couldn't cope with my disability or support me and because it meant we would have to move from the home that we were in and he didn't want to do that. So he left and then obviously COVID came and hit as well. But Andy and I had been together before. We'd been together for eight years until 2008 
and had been heavy drinkers, heavy, heavy drinkers. He's had leukemia. We split up in 2008. In 2009, he was diagnosed with leukemia. 2012, he had a bone marrow transplant that saved his life. And he didn't really drink very much after then. So when I got back with him, he wasn't really a big drinker anymore. He would have maybe one pint a night, you know, one little bottle a night, if that, with his dinner. But I was still drinking quite heavily. And I just suddenly realized that I, we, we got together. He was the love of my life. And I just didn't want to wreck this relationship with drink. I realized I'd never had a relationship that wasn't based on alcohol. And this time I wanted it to be different. And I wanted, I didn't want to lose him again. We'd got back together. We'd wasted 12 years. And I just, and that's actually in my thing of why I'm doing it is because I don't want to wreck this relationship with alcohol. And I didn't. I mean, we were together. We didn't see each other much in lockdown. But then I got sober in the August of the year of, of COVID. And he was up here for the second lockdown. And just before Christmas, I found a lump in his neck again. And by January, it was huge. And then we just, yeah, had two years, really. The first year wasn't bad. He really supported me. That first Christmas, he was, you know, when I did see him, he was pushing me around in a wheelchair. But we just went from strength to strength together. But people didn't know, because he didn't want people to know. People didn't know that he had leukemia. So he was supporting me, really, in riding the coast of the UK, promoting positive living with sobriety and disability. And that's what we did. And it wasn't like ramming it down people's throats, but because of my Can-Am Riker, my bumblebee, if you christened her, and I now call her, people would naturally come over. And there'd be conversations about, like, well, how can you afford something like this? How much is it? How can you afford I might well stop drinking. And, you know, this is going to, let's pay for that. In two years of not drinking, it paid for my, my bike outright. Boom, two years it paid for your bike for Bumblebee. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And that, that's probably being generous. It probably, you know, that's because like, you don't always put the exact amount of money that you, <laughs> you, know, you think, oh, it's a bottle of wine a night I was drinking. You forget about all the other stuff on top, you know. So, yeah, so it completely, and we'd start the conversation about sobriety, you know, and how, and how did you do that? and and we talk about disability a lot as well because there's a lot of bikers out there that are interested in the Can-Am because they can't ride bikes anymore because of disability. But you can with this. So it's like the whole thing is about not giving up. It's about finding different ways around things. So, yeah, we, we sort of supported each other. We, we couldn't go. I think the longest tour Andy and I did was three and a half weeks because unbeknown to everybody else, Every month he was having, or apart from Polly A, she was, she knew, and I think you knew as well. He had to keep going in every month for Bart's for transfusions and stuff. And, you know, he did quite well. He did quite well for last, that, that year. And, but then his treatment stopped working. His treatment stopped working. And he wasn't allowed to drink alcohol with his treatment. And that was really interesting, actually. When they were going to start his treatment, they said, right, you won't be able to drink alcohol when you start this treatment. So go and have a good drink this weekend. And he went, I'm not bothered. He went, she doesn't drink anyway, looking at me. And they went, oh, how boring. I went, not at all. I'm sort of eight months sober. I'm having the best life ever. I'm doing the instrument. Oh, good for you. But it was really interesting how the cancer specialist, nurse specialist and doctor encouraged him to go and have a good drink before he started his treatment because he wouldn't be able to drink after that. And I'm like, are you so blind to that? Because we know, and I, and I love the Sabre Town, on Sabre Town we've got the page now, the Cancer Awareness page, that the alcohol does cause cancer. I know, that's just so crazy. Here you are in a cancer facility and they're telling you go have a drink. That's crazy. This is the top cancer hospital in the UK. You know, the thing is, many doctors and nurses are drinkers. We drink the same as firemen, same as ambulance, because we drink because of our trauma, our secondary trauma. And it's just a way of it. That was my automatic thing. Come in from work, open the bottle. Ah, oh, relax, you know, um, which obviously now I know it wasn't. It was just stopping the anxiety and the withdrawals. It wasn't really relaxing me. But, but that's the mindset out there in the matrix is, oh, how boring. 
Yeah, exactly that. And that, and I think that's the thing. And that is probably my task a lot of the time now is trying to promote how boring, how how great and exciting sober life is. That it isn't boring. That it really. But when we even think about it, I wrote a bit about this in my book. When we look at the word sober, sober means either getting free from alcohol or addiction, but it also means being stayed and you know quiet and reserved and that's so far from the truth i've never been so loud and proud and excitable and happy in my life really right you're living you're not just existing yeah completely completely that and even through all this time you know with andy it was such an awful journey because then the treatment stopped working and then nothing would work i do want to mention you guys had a motorcycle crash together too, didn't you? We did. We did, yes. <laughs> we were out on that was quite we were out on York in the middle of Yorkshire Moors, the middle of nowhere. And um we were going to meet some sober ladies actually from up north. And uh, yeah, just about two miles from the pub that we we're supposed to be meeting in, we had a little collision and his bike was like because he he's went into a wall, it slid into a wall. I came off. Mine just threw me off. I was quite bruised and battered. But Kim, bless her, one of the ladies was meeting. She came and picked us up. And then he waited for the RAC and then rode mine. Bumblebee was still rideable. So he rode back down. But he didn't have his bike for, oh, a good six weeks. And then he got it back. And then he was in hospital, really. So all this time last year, he was in hospital from mostly October until New Year's Eve, really. And the one thing that he lived to get out for was to ride his bike that that's what got him out of hospital every time was to ride his bike and I think he managed to ride it three or four times between this hospital visit you know a year anniversary and when he finally went in and passed away but he yeah he just he loved riding and we planned when we we're in hospital that's what we do that's how we get through the days you know we do lots of things he had such a great sense of humor Andy, and we would find the best ways to get through each day. I'd be reading to him. Perhaps we'd be playing cards if he had the energy. Or we'd be planning. We'd be listening to podcasts. Or we'd plan our next bike rides. And, and you're planning coming to America? Oh, planning coming to America. That's definitely something that he wanted to do this year, actually. That's one of the things that, that he'd wanted to do. And we'd planned to do it this summer had he been well enough. Because he wanted to come and, and drive coast to coast. But mostly he wanted to come to see you. That that was the main thing. He wanted to just come and spend a night with you in your truck, just driving wherever you were driving and just talking. Because he said Drifter's such an interesting guy. I just want to sit and have that conversation. He probably would have only driven with me once. Don't say that because I'm making a special journey to come out next March with his ashes <laughs> and we're going to do that drive and I'm going to do it for him. He will be sitting with us. Okay, I will try not to scare you too bad. Yeah, please don't scare me, no. But yeah, so that's why, and and, and we planned to do that. We planned motorbike-wise to ride the coast of Wales and Ireland, but obviously he didn't get out to do that, so that's why I then went and did it a, a month or so after he died. Yeah, I did 3,000 miles and raised £2,500 for Maggie's cancer care, which was good. It helped me ride through a lot of my my grief really also with being sober you were able to get through this grief differently if you would have been drinking yeah and the, and the whole process i mean i was sitting there you know if you, if you imagine me this time last year two hours commute into him from also stayed at his place in essex two hours commute sitting eight hours with him two hours commute home so that was my day 10 to 12 hours a day doing that but where i was commuting to was bart's hospital which is right in the square. So the city of London is one square mile. So Bart's is right in the city of London. So you can imagine at this time of year, Bart's is surrounded by pubs and all the Christmas parties that were going on. There was a Tesco just down the road. And I was just sitting there thinking, and a lot of the time Andy was sleeping. And I was thinking, gosh, the old me would have been out over those pubs while I was sleeping, getting pissed. Or I would have been buying a bottle of gin and tonic or, you know, because that would have lasted longer and sitting and necking that in the hospital room with him while he slept. And I just would have been there drunk. 
and numbed to it all and not being able to feel anything. And as painful as it was, it was the best way to deal with it, especially the the final month in April this year, because I looked at him one day and I said, Andy, as difficult and shit and painful as this journey is, it is the most intense and intimate journey of my life. And he just looked me straight in the eye and he went, I agree, the smile, because our spiritual connection at that time was just out of this world. And I've always been a spiritual person. And so has Andy to a degree. But I think that last month, we'd so knew that we'd been together before. And we knew that we'd be together again. And I said that to him one day. I said, Do you know what, Andy? As 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 tricky a situation as you are in right now, I could still go first because we don't know. You know, I could have dropped out of heart attack in a minute. We don't know. I said, but know this, whichever one of us goes first, we will find each other again as we found each other before. And we will do again. And he went, I know. And, you know, if I'd been drinking, I would have missed the most painful, but the most intense and wonderful journey of my life. And and that may seem really strange when you're watching someone die to say that it was wonderful. But it was because we connected so much. We found such a depth of connection that was so intimate, far more intimate than, than anything physical that we'd ever done or ever been. And I'll be forever grateful for that. When Andy passed, you have gratitude for being able to be present in those moments versus if you would have been drinking, you probably wouldn't have been there every day. And then you would have been carrying guilt. Your sobriety was a blessing to both of you. Absolutely, because I could be there for him 100%. I mean, I did not, from the minute he went into the hospital at the beginning of April to the day he died, the 22nd of April, I did not go home. I slept on the floor in hospital beds on the floor. I'd, I'd pop out to do our washing or get some clothes because I could take a years ago bag with me, but I only had the clothes I wore. So I had to go shopping and go to the laundrette and go out and get us cappuccinos and coffees because when he could stomach them, he quite liked them. But the rest, I was with him all all the time. And he had the absolute best of dying days. So I was able to tell his family, get everybody up there. He saw everybody. He had the most peaceful passing with me and his son Aaron holding his hands. And he had the best dying day and he went in the best way because he was pain-free. He was really calm. He was really settled. He was very accepting. And yeah, he, he knew. In fact, he said to me two days before, he said to me, that he said, I, th- I think this is it. He said, I think I'm nearing the end. He said, perhaps it will be a hospital bed at home because he wanted to come home just watch the birds. That's all he wanted. And he just wanted another summer. I mean, what are you going to do with another summer? He went, just spend it with you. That's all he wanted, you know. So I know he's still with me. So I've tried to give him the best summer since he's been gone. I've been traveling all over the place trying to share it all with him. You gave him an amazing celebration of life, memorial, right? And then from there, You've traveled around. Tell us a little bit about all that. So I did the tour around Ireland and Wales, which was horrible. I have to say, it was absolutely grueling. In 29 days, I had two days where it didn't rain. And some days it was torrential. When you're riding a bike, you know yourself, that is not fun. Because even your waterproofs get wet. Everything was soaked through sometimes. And it was cold. It was horrible. I met some amazing people. I talked about my grief. I talked about my sobriety on there as well. And I met some amazing people and great people. And one of the real realizations I had from that is one of the things my brother said at Andy's funeral was there was a man that didn't want for anything. All he wanted was your company and your time. And that is so true. And as I was riding around, I had this great realization that actually the reason for that was that people, and this is what Andy saw, was that people were fundamentally nice and fundamentally kind because I came across so much kindness and help on that journey. But the thing is, in life, there are a few bad things that happen to us 
that are unkind and not nice. And they're the things we hold on to. And we start to judge and gauge our whole life around that. And we start to get frightened about letting people in and opening up, you know, both physically and emotionally. But on that journey, I realized it, it that people are fundamentally nice. People do want to help each other. People are kind. And that's what Andy saw. He saw the goodness in people. And that really, really helped me to open my eyes and be more open to people and be more open and gracious to people when they want to help me. So that was a real realization. I rode a lot through my grief and through all the, when I felt really ill and really awful, all I kept saying to myself is, Karina, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing compared to Andy and everybody else going through cancer and on chemotherapy, which is barbaric. <laughs> it's nothing compared to what they went through. So you keep riding. You do this for them. And, and I got home and, and, and I did it. And I thought, you know what, I can do anything now. Because if I can do that on my own, because Andy was my wingman, he'd tell me when I was tired, he'd tell me when he needed to play, that I was still indicating that I was too close. He'd help me on and off with my, my armoured gear. And there I was having to do it on my own and put a little tent up on my own as well, which hadn't camped for years. So it was quite incredible that I could do that when you think three years ago I'd been in a wheelchair. I came back from there very, very cold, very exhausted, but I was only back for about three days. And then I flew off to Spain to Alarin in Andalusia. I think it's Costa del Sol, Costa Brava, I can't remember. But anyway, I flew down there because Andy and I had planned last winter to come spend our winter there because I kind of knew it would be our last winter together. And we had always wanted to go somewhere warm for winter. So we planned to go to that area for last winter. We'd been given the go-ahead and two weeks later, bang, he became really poorly and we couldn't. So I went to the area to see my friend and spent a couple of weeks there and had planned originally to go there this winter, but I've kind of changed that plan now. So I spent some time there. So everywhere I go, I'm sprinkling some of his ashes as well, wherever I think you might like it. I'll sprinkle some ashes. I was there for a couple of weeks and then I came back um, for about a month and I've just been to Malaysia and Cambodia for three weeks, which wasn't a place Andy wanted to go actually but it's somewhere that my friend's sister lives out there she moved out there in 2020 and we'd planned to go and visit but we couldn't because of the COVID restrictions and then because Andy got too poorly so I went and did that and that was amazing Cambodia I mean both countries are lovely but Cambodia I absolutely adored it and I felt so close to Andy there because we loved Lara Croft and Team Raider <laughs> So, you know, that's where they filmed a lot of it. So I went and saw the roots of the trees and that. And I felt very, very close to him there. And yeah, that was just amazing. But the thing for that, when I first went to Spain, it's the first time ever that I'd flown sober. It's the first time I'd ever flown solo on my own. And it's the first time I'd ever flown unsedated. And I just did it. And I thought, you know what? I can go anywhere now. I've done this. I can go anywhere in the world. And I vlog. I vlog about all my stories on positive recovery with Karina on YouTube. So I vlog on sobriety stuff. I vlog about disability. I vlog about my journeys, about my grief. And that really helps me to talk to my phone, as I was saying, and it's like my own therapy. And I'd put on there that, you know, this girl can go anywhere now. I've done this. The world's my oyster. So my friend Julia from Australia went, anywhere? What, come to Australia? So I'm like, okay. So I'm now flying on the 30th of January, first of all, to Melbourne. Get this, to meet King 13. I'm going to see King. Boom. And boom. And then, I, I, and also I'm going to see Bucky's Black, who is out there, and another lady that's just contacted me. And then go and see my friend in Coffs Harbour. I might say, I've got a family, cousins and aunties out there as well. So I'll go and see them. And then I'm going with my friend from Coffs Harbour, Julia, to Bali for 12 nights. And then Virginia said, well, America's on your way back from Australia, which of course it is. But it's not really on the way back from Bali. But I'd already booked my flights before I realised because I'm going past England. Well, I or Europe. 
to get to America. But I'm landing in San Francisco on the 6th of March, where I'm also going to see some lovely ladies, Herg, Eileen, Trail Gypsy. And so really excited. And then, I don't know if you know all this where I'm going. Have you read it all? Then I'm going to see this Mrs. of the Sober Bad. And I think the other Sober Bad is coming to join us at some point as well for some lunch. And Peanut, or Miss Peanut. And then, of course, I'm probably going down to Orlando to see Rags. And I'm going to go to Virginia to see Virginia. And the piece de la resistance, of course. I'm coming to see you and Mrs. Thrifter. Yes, and we we're can't going to wait. Go riding. Yes. So, yeah, exciting plans, exciting plans ahead. And I'll be vlogging all of that anyway, because I vlog, as I say, as well as spreading the word in my travels about sobriety, disability, grief, and not letting any of those things control us not be those things, but to be us with those things alongside us and to get out there and live, live our life because that's what Andy would want me to do. And I, I remember when Andy first passed, my son, bless him, said, I'm to two other people, my brother and my mum. I'm really worried that my mum's going to pick up the bottle again. And I just looked at him and I said, Jack, I know we can never say never. I know we can never get complacent. I said, but Jack, I would not do that because I would not dishonour Andy's memory in that way. We came through so much together the last, you know, three years we were back together, so much. It's like we thought we fitted a whole lifetime into three years, you know, and I would not go back and do that. I have to honour his memory in the same way that I can't just sit in a corner and cry because that's not what he'd want me to do. He'd be annoyed with me to do that. He would be, you know, look, I got you to believe in yourself again. We gave each other confidence. We got there. You know, we did this. We we had these amazing journeys together. And he would just think I was throwing it all away. And I was thinking about this recently that actually I know we can't get complacent. But there is not, I don't, when I think of alcohol now, it's, you know, alcohol is my go-to every day. And the thought of drinking now makes me feel physically sick. And there is not one cell in my body that wants to drink. But every cell of my body wants to stay sober. I'm not going to say that I get tr don't get triggers, because I do. I'd be lying. <laughs> I'm not going to say that I don't get moments that I want to numb, because I do. But. In the long run, I just play my game. If I play it forwards, I play that forwards and I know what it would be like. And I don't want to throw away everything that Andy and I built because I feel like I'm a millionaire. I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty skint, but I am a millionaire because I have got so much love, experience and so many beautiful, wonderful people around me that life is just amazing now i feel like the richest richest woman on earth even though i've only got pennies or cents as you'd say <laughs> your sober journey in the big scheme of life going from the walker in the wheelchair to where you are now is really only it's only been what a little over three years right in the scheme of life that's really not a long time but a lot has happened you started out with the interview with you and I. From there, you and Polly did the two-for-one podcast, right? Yep. From there, you kind of branched up on your own positive recovery with Karina. Mm -hmm. During that time, well, you already had your YouTube channel kind of going with, yeah. with other stuff. But, but since then, you've just really engaged in all of this. You're really living your sober life. Yeah, and, and hopefully spreading the word, that's what I want to do. Is And I just want to make a difference to one person's life each day. That's all I want to do. And we can all do that. Sometimes it's just by smiling at someone, you know. I, I remember smiling at someone at work one day, and she went, oh, you've just made my day. And I said, what? She wouldn't you smile. So, you know, we, it can be as simple as a smile. We can just make somebody's day. And that was the thing about writing my book as well. I just wanted to 
to make a difference to somebody's life, somebody's day. And I didn't realize that the whole of this journey was going to make such a huge difference to my life. And I got sober two months before my grandson was born. And it was like, I've been a drunk and smelly mother. I do not want to be a drunk and smelly grandmother. I'm going to be sober for this baby. So I got sober 5th of August. Arthur was born 9th of October. And as you say, we have grown together. I've learned to walk with him. I've learned to talk with him. I've learned so much mindfulness. He's my mindfulness guru. You know, I've, I've learned. I just sit with him and I have spun in that grain of sand, that blade of grass, that ladybug. I sit. I don't get on my phone when I'm with him. I literally immerse myself into his world. And we have grown together. And when we look at how much a child grows between the age of one and three, and how much more growing and living they've got to do. Was it the first five years, isn't it, is the most learning we do? Five years, yeah. So I've still got another couple of years. And, and I started drinking at 14. So I'd always say I drank myself through my identity crisis and my midlife crisis. This last three years, not only have I learned those baby steps of how to walk, talk, eat, you know, without choking and, and just be sober and not have my comfort blanket anymore because that I'd been whipped away. And have to deal with all these 55 years of exposure that, you know, I'd been kept under my comfort blanket. It had to all come out to play as to all my altered thinking and my thoughts and my memories. But it, so I've still, you know, I'm still quite early because I'm, I'm going through all of that plus my identity crisis plus my midlife crisis, which is probably something to do with Bumblebee, but I don't care. I love it. Love every minute. And I remember King always saying to me, it was about the time as well that I'd found, I'd learned to walk hand in hand with little me again, with little Karina. Just a little tip for people is I just found a photo of two-year-old me before the world got to work on her, smiling and laughing, innocence. And I put it on my fridge and that's all I did. And eventually I just look at it each day and I just became, came to love her again and, and feel for her and walk hand in hand with her again. And I remember King saying to me, when I see you on your, on your bumblebee, you can just see the little girl shining out from you because she is the, the best of fun. And I am having the best of fun, as awful, as awful as this year has been. In many ways, it's been the best because I'm, I'm growing and, and we learn from everything that happens in life. Yeah, it's been the most difficult, but at the same time, priceless for you too yeah yeah absolutely and and I don't feel that Andy is yes Andy's physical form has gone and that's it hits me when it comes to the solar plexus it's like I'm never gonna see you smile again I'm never gonna hold his hand again but I have have it all here and I do just put out my hands and I just stop sometimes and I can feel him feel him with me and the thing is that's what I have to remind myself is that spiritual connection that we had in last month. I told him it was the most intense and intimate, and it was. So that is far outweighs any physical connection that we ever have. So I just have to stop and remind myself that, that we have a spiritual connection, that he's still with me, that he is guiding me. And, and if anybody wants to see Andy's smile, we put his memorial up on SilvertownPodcast.com under memorials. And we have a bunch of pictures on there and what you've written for him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, go there and take a look and say hi to Andy. Yeah, and thank you for that. He'd be so pleased with that. He'd love that. So, Well, like I mentioned the other day, him and my brother are probably out there running around the, the stars and, and seeing all the creation out there, just having a blast. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. And, and with Paul, I'm sure he's met with Polly's dad as well. And do you know what? It's it, not long after he died. I looked up at the skies and because when he's in hospital, he's planning that he might get another bike. He's going to get a Triumph Tiger. And I, I looked up and I'm like, oh, did you get a Tiger? And I'm like, oh, you probably don't need to now. You can just fly wherever you want to go. And all I heard him say was, well, why would I do that when I can ride? <laughs> no doubt he's got his bike and he's riding around up there somewhere. So, So what's your future for you? Karina, his sober spaces. What's your future there? Yeah, so obviously in Sober Town podcast. So, and I've just started a a, a chat in Sober Town podcast on Facebook. 
before my book, they said about cold sobriety. So people can come in there and ask me any questions they want, or we can just discuss. And obviously, I post a section of that each day on Sobertown and also on my Facebook. There's some other Facebook pages as well, sort of Sober, Sober pages that I'm just posting on each day just to support those networks. I'm going to carry on vlogging. I'm going to carry on traveling the world and spreading the word on sobriety um, and, and living a positive life and just try and keep putting the word out there. I was meant to be hunkering down and writing books this winter, but I haven't got very far, to be honest. been too busy planning my travels, but I've got some other books in my mind. In fact, I've got two other books in mind linked to addiction and recovery that I want to write. So they are, are there. So they will be coming out at some point as well. And and yeah, I'm just going to carry on vlogging, supporting other people, traveling the world, writing more books, hopefully. But for now, just putting my book quotes up there and and podcasting. Of course, I need to do another po- podcast. I haven't done one for a while. So I'm going to try and get back on track with sort of weekly podcasts if I can and, and get those suggestions out of my cookie jar and yeah, get up and running again. So that's kind of my, my plans. Boom, because we love to hear your voice. And then if somebody was just sober curious, they want to get sober, and this is like their first day, what would you tell them? Connection is key. Just stick with it. You take what well, if the first day, you've taken the first step. Find a community. Come find SoberTownPodcast.com. Great community there. Great support. It's a Facebook page. Go to Sobertown Podcast because you will get so much on there as well as podcasts, um, connect, listen to podcasts, read, investigate, buy my book, The A to Z of Alcohol Sobriety, Everything You Need to Know by Karina Alderton, available worldwide on Amazon. Oh. Don't know. <laughs> because actually, that, that was the whole reason of my book and the whole thing that I want to do is that when you first get sober, it's like... As I said earlier, comfort blankets have been taken away from you. You're exposed and you're like, what do I do now? Where do I go? You know, what happens? So the whole point of my book was for people, if they're sober curious and haven't even stopped, or even if they're just sober curious and don't even want to stop right now, it is a book that's written for you to learn about alcohol, put strategies in place, learn about what other resources that there's loads of resources in there places to go for help and support so you're not alone it's to help people be curious and make decisions about their drinking or sobriety journey but not be alone because that is the most difficult thing on day one is like where do I go what do I do you know it's nothing worse than white knuckling it so read you know even if it's not my book read other books listen to podcasts Listen to other people. And I always say this, that there is no in front or behind. We're all just a day saver. It's all one step at a time. But we can learn from people that have trod in it, you know, walked ahead of us. We're not ahead. We are side by side, walking hand in hand. But people that have experience, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. There's lots of information, lots of resources out there. Go and find them. And one great way to do it is first we to go to sebtownpodcast.com because you've got all books on there as well you've got one other podcast and that's what i love about it it's not just our way on the highway it is the one-stop sobriety shop it's all for free and there's just everything on there that you need to take your first steps in sobriety even a link to my book (laughs) and we will have a link in there for your book and You know, it doesn't matter which sober community you get involved with, but get involved with the community. And I think some of the most powerful times in my sober journey with those that I had the same milestone, we were in the same mindset. We had the same connections. I could learn from people that were ahead of me, but when it got really to the meat and the potatoes in my journey, I I had a sober crew. I had all these different people around me that were going through the same kind of time period. We were kind of working together, doing the same things. And that's what I would tell people to get a sober crew that are around the same timeline. Absolutely. When I'm talking about um, people that have gone before us, it's more things like, like the books and the podcasts and the things that are out there. So you're not having to try and find all this stuff yourself. 
you know, because that's that's great. You can be on the same timeline, but and we're finding things out together. But we can also find out resources and things that have helped other people who've already been at our milestone because they have done the experience. But again, everybody's journey is different, as I've said. Everybody's experience is different. And that's why we need lots of different tools. And that's why there's so many different resources out there, which is great. And when we started, Karina, we didn't have all these resources. We had the I Am Sober app. But outside of that, there really wasn't all of this that we're seeing that's being created. And it's a really cool place to be for someone getting sober right now because there's so many options. Yeah, yeah, there is. And 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 I was really excited as well to see this morning, and I, I've shared it on on and with you and on social media that Michael Sargard, happy without the hooch, has been nominated the third most popular or the third biggest sober influencer of 2023. So we've got Russell Brown. Annie Grace and now Marcus, Michael Sargood, who I interviewed way back when. It was so funny. I went and met him down in Southend and we couldn't find somewhere quiet, like coffee places or decent to, for me to interview him. So we went to Southend Library and we're having to try and keep quiet in the corner of the library while I'm interviewing them on my phone. And then we were talking so much. They had to come over and say, look, the library's closing now. You need to go. We're sober and we're getting kicked out of the library. But but yeah, that, so that was great. And what, what episode number did you say that was? 258. So yeah, so good for him. It's great because he was just starting out then. That just shows how, how he's growing, how we're all growing. Sober Socials is a community in the UK. So if you're in the UK, go, go check out Sober Socials. And they have in-person events, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, all over. Um, and, but what, what he does is, um, on his site, he has got a list, he's compiled a list of all the different sober so socials that, that go on everywhere in the UK. So you can go on there and just, just see where the sober socials are near you. And there's quite a lot, actually, around in Essex, which is my old stomping grounds. And one day I will get to one. I haven't managed to yet, but I'm too busy traveling in the world right now. So, Karina, it's been a pleasure sitting here with you. I can't wait to see you when you get over this way. Have an amazing journey. I mean, golly, you're going all over the place. So have an amazing yeah. journey and tell everybody where to find you so they can see as this journey unfolds, they can check it out. Okay. So on YouTube, you can see my journey, which is Positive Recovery with Karina. C-O-R-I-N-N-A. Presumably the links will be down. We'll put the links anyway on Facebook, you can see me, find me at Karina Alderton. And on Instagram, I'm CanAmGirlUK. And on Sobertown, your positive recovery with Karina and two for one. Tons of love to you, my friend. And you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, hold it. Hold it. Polly says, no sippy, no slippy. You say. Not another drop, no matter what. And I say, pour the poison down the sink. Boom. And I was really excited to see that that's what you've got written on the back of the Sabertown cards. Yes, we've said that all along, and I think it's something we need to carry with us. So, Brilliant. Tons of love to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.